How was, oh yeah, how was the wedding though? The wedding was good, dude. We, uh, so we showed up on Thursday. That was the, what do they call it? The rehearsal dinner. Yeah. So the rehearsal dinner on Thursday and then Friday morning went into um, just random stuff because I was a part of the wedding party. So we mm-hmm. just kind of hung out in the morning and then went into the wedding. The wedding couldn't have been more perfect. So they, they rescheduled from June and they looked back on the day that they were supposed to have in June. It was like 96 and super humid and just oh, nice. ridiculous. And it was outside. So it would have been miserable. Wait, where was the wedding again? This was in Cincinnati, a place called Alt Park. Oh, well, Mike's not here, obviously. That's that's why we're talking about Mike's wedding. He's on his honeymoon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was in, he got married in Cincy. Yeah, he got married in Cincy, a place called Alt Park. So the uh, the ceremony was down in this kind of uh, grass patch below. Mm-hmm. The reception was up above, which is pretty cool. So everything overlooked it. Oh, nice. And it, it was nice. Dude. I think they're happy with the way it turned out. She said yes. I was surprised. But, <laughs> uh, you know, it all worked worked out for the best. Man, I just got back from a wedding, too. It was, it was such a weird experience with, like, masks certain parts masks not parts they had like 20 percent or 25 percent of the people actually came because there was you know kids or families or whatever so it was a i mean it was like such a happy experience but at the same time it was such a uh reminder of like what everything that's going on yeah they were they were struggling i think they were kind of worried too because so many people were dropping off leading up mm-hmm. to it and then one of his other groomsmen uh had tested positive like four days before that so oh, that was really? a huge bummer one of his best friends growing up so so he didn't get to go yeah he didn't get to go and his brother did so it was just uh yeah the whole situation was kind of tough it definitely is a weird time to try to have a wedding well that's kind of a bummer but this episode isn't <laughs> yeah this episode is awesome yeah so it's actually did, one of my favorites so we had kathy lytle and i'm, I'm hoping i'm still pronouncing her last name right Anyway, well, we, Kathy was yeah, awesome. Yeah, we, had, we had Kathy. She is the senior vice president and CHRO over at Worthington, not to mention all of her experiences leading up to that. So she had an influence with the crew coming here. Uh, she's had an affiliation and, and a large connection with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, yeah, she was. She helped uh, the like the direct beginning of that coming from the the JMAC hockey like into us getting the team here in Columbus. So that I was hyped about that. You know, as a season ticket holder for both of those teams, she was very pivotal in bringing two teams that I love and two sports that I love to Columbus. So thanks again, Kathy. That was awesome. Yeah. And, and her old career is just very serendipitous to some extent, just kind of fell into one role into the next and obviously executed and worked really hard. But um, I think where she ended up today, I don't necessarily know if she, she predicted that. So it was cool to hear what she focused on and how she grew her career when she hit Worthington and what she's focused on today, especially amongst COVID in a world where, you know, manufacturing, you can't just all work from home. So um, dealing with people in that environment is, is definitely a struggle. So it was, it was a lot of fun talking with her about that. Yes, this is an awesome episode. Enjoy it. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Today on the show, Jenny Brittenbauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. I'm truly never comfortable. When I'm comfortable, I'm bored. I just have to keep going. Only when you're a little bit scared are you in a place where you're about to learn something. We're explorers, and explorers are making discoveries because they are going places people haven't before. Urban Meyer. There's one guarantee in this world, and that's hard work will be rewarded. And hard work, you have to embrace discomfort. I love how you said that, live uncomfortably. Donato's Jane Abel. We have a umbrella idea of agape capitalism, which is about doing business and doing it with love and giving back to the community. And I believe in our products, but more importantly, I believed in our people. Pelotonia CEO, Doug Oldman. There's this genuine pride for things that were born and raised in Columbus. And that's awesome. At the same time, there's this beautiful Midwest humility. People don't necessarily care about who gets credit. Cameron Mitchell of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants. One of our goals is to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today, and that goal stays the same 24-7, 365. This is Conquering Co.
Welcome to the Conquering Columbus podcast. I'm Mike. We got Josh and Tim over there today. Excited to get the day started or end the day with a podcast here. How are you guys doing? A uh, long day and ready to sit down and, and learn uh, more about our guests here, who I won't give away quite yet. Mike, I'll, I'll let you uh, go. I mean, if one. they're listening, I think they can, they've read the title. Well, but. hopefully you read the title. But if you haven't <laughs> read the title, today on the show, we've got uh, Kathy Little joining us. And she is the Senior Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer at Worthington Industries. And Kathy joined Worthington Industries in January 1999 as Vice President of Corporate Communications. She also became the Investor Relations Officer in 2009. Before joining Worthington, she was the Vice President of JMAC Hockey LLC, where she helped direct the startup of the business office for the Columbus Blue Jackets, the National Hockey League expansion franchise. And prior to the JMAC position, Little was the Vice President of Marketing for the Greater Columbus Chamber of Commerce. She also worked with member companies to help market the area, and she worked on a number of economic development initiatives. Uh, she was also a part of the team that helped attract Major League Soccer franchise, the Columbus Crew, here in 1994. And she's heavily involved in our community and currently chairing Experience Columbus, the Columbus Blue Jackets Foundation, the Columbus Youth Foundation, and is a member of the Clippers board. She's also on the board of Celebrate One, focused on reducing infant mortality rates along with a broad range of volunteer experience. So we're really excited to have Kathy on the show with us. And after that long introduction, but all the accomplishments you have, it's a great to have you here. Well, thank you. I'm going to enjoy this. I can already tell. Well, good. good. Say, is that all you've you. done? Or, you know? Right. Yeah. You got, you got anything <laughs> else like, for I'm us? I'm not going to take a nap. No. <laughs> You know, I mean, we, we were like, well, you know, this was close, but if she hadn't done this one thing, maybe not had her. Well, you show. left out my, you know, stellar media career, but we can talk about that. Well, right. I mean, point. you mentioned you were on radio before. Yeah. Uh, 610 TVN um, here in Columbus. That's what brought me to Columbus. So does this feel like a little bit of a throwback for you? It does. I love it, actually. It's fun. Great. Headphones, microphone. It's all good. Great. Well, so, Kathy, one of the first places we just like to start is get a little background on yourself, starting back with maybe where you grew up how you got here, just any any highlights along your early life that stand out to you? Well, thanks. I'd love to talk about that. I was uh, thinking about that today. I grew up in a small river town in Ohio. It's called Ironton, about 15,000 people, an idyllic life with uh, parents that um, gave us everything we needed. They were Depression-era babies, and uh, my father was in World War II, and I was one of uh, four kids three girls and one boy. And um, we're all still very close as siblings. Uh, my parents are are gone, but um, they gave us a lot of great things in life and encouraged us to go out and do good stuff. And um, I think we all have in our own way. I came to Columbus uh, in the early 80s after landing a job uh, in news at 610 TV and radio. That was a lot of fun. Got to learn a lot about the city in that time because I was a beat reporter. So I was at the State House. I was at City Hall. I was crime scenes, I just, school board meetings, just all kinds of great stuff. And uh, then had the opportunity to go to WBNS 10 TV and uh, was the assignment editor there for about three years. That's kind of like the air traffic controller in the newsroom. You know, you're working with news producers and reporters and camera folks, and you've got all the toys, the live trucks and the helicopters to cover the news. And it was a great time to be there. It was uh a heady time at Channel 10. They were the number one station. We were the number one station CBS affiliate in the country uh, with great ratings. And um, it was just a lot of fun, covered a lot of of great things. I happened to meet my husband there, which was kind of our own broadcast news version, an old movie uh, back in the 80s. But um, And we've been married now for almost 35 years. So really telling my congrats. age here. Yeah, Thank congrats. you. And we have a 30-year-old son and um, 
wonderful daughter-in-law, and we've made Columbus home. Jeff was a Columbus boy, went to Ohio State, uh, stayed here. And uh, we've both had um, really wonderful careers and um, not done yet, but, um, you know, we've also been very active in our community because we think that's the right thing to do to find your way and give back where you can and uh, be engaged. So um, Columbus has been um, a really great place to kind of watch it grow up. You know, when I was here in the early 80s, the Levesque Tower was, you know, kind of the gleaming skyline. The Neal House, which was a a hotel downtown where the Huntington Tower stands, was gone and Huntington was there. And then one Columbus went up at the corner of Broad and High. But it was it was an exciting place to be because it felt like it was a place full of possibilities, and we were young. You know, we didn't have the old uh, money of a of a Cleveland or Cincinnati. And um, what I learned early on about Columbus was if you wanted to get involved, you could. And I believe that's still true today. You just need to raise your hand, or you need to put your you know foot forward to say, "I want to help. I want to be engaged." And um, that was really attractive to me um, from the get-go. And then just being a part of watching, you know, downtown come alive in the last 20 years and just, you know, my little corner of, you know, uh, my involvement in some of those things, it, it's just been um, pretty amazing. So I was intrigued by, you know, conquering Columbus, the the title. So I think Columbus is an easy place, maybe not to conquer, but it's certainly an easy place to get engaged and, um, you know, find your path or where you want to be. So were you here when the Christopher Inn was still standing? Yeah, I was. That's that- one of the things that I'm the m- most sad that I never got to see, like, you know, seeing old photos of it and whatnot. It was a cylindrical yeah. hotel. Have you seen photos of this? I'm about to look it up right it now. It had like yeah. the, uh, the old school kind of lounge Great with the bar. piano. Oh my gosh, yeah. I've yes. heard so many stories. I have a matchbook I got from it from like an older guy who was yeah. telling me about it. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's just probably one of the coolest things that got torn down to I make know. a park in a garage. Yeah. And that was, that yeah. was heartbreaking for that me. That was, yeah. We we did get rid of a lot of things that we probably wish we had held on to. But um, yeah, that was a really cool building. I I kind of vaguely remember it because it wasn't long after I got mm. here that it, that it you know, met its demise, while, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Actually, today was the uh, the date that City Center opened 31 years ago oh, as well. So Certainly we're recording this that. on a pretty big uh, milestone day, but that's one I miss as well. I think that was just ahead of its time. It was. Um, unfortunately, it just didn't engage enough with the outside world. It was, you know, too much and of a no, box. There was nothing downtown. Like I live downtown yeah. now and, you know, it's still sometimes things close a little bit early. The Chipotle across the street from me closes at 4 p.m. And I think I want it at 5 p.m. every time I want it. It's I understand. Always close, but. Yeah. We're, we're still growing on that front, but, mm-hmm. um, the, you know, so much has changed downtown and downtown living. I mean, I, yeah. I think it's um, still very much an attractive um, place for a lot of people. Um not just you youngins, but you know, it's empty nesters uh, like coming down here too. And um, it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, there are definitely some, I think, gems that uh, almost got away, but the Ohio theater, luckily we had smart people that uh, made sure that that didn't happen and, and certainly saved it from, from going away. So. Our first sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. I think in terms of the structure of the city, we have, you know, it's, it's big enough to get things done, but not too big that you can't get a hold of individuals that you need to uh, connect or, or have meaningful conversations with. Nobody's really 
too standoffish to where they won't get grab coffee with you or have lunch with you to that extent. And, and then right. just the logistics of the city. One of the things that's tough, so I got back this past weekend from Portland and was just checking on that city for the first time. And one of the things felt very similar to Columbus to me to some extent, but the public transportation system was was really well built out. And it seems like that is still an area where we're falling a little bit short. Yeah, I'm encouraged. That's, that's by one our, way to put it. Yeah. A little bit short. <laughs> I'm, I'm encouraged though by our new leadership at CODA. I mean, I think there's a a new way there, I think that we will, we will realize, but yeah, I mean, that has been the, I got to tell you when I was at the chamber, I, you know, I remember going on a trip to St. Louis and being blown away by, you know, we went there to actually look at the downtown it was part of our downtown council of Columbus, uh, the Columbus chamber. And a group of us went there and the, just the ease of getting around on their light rail, you know, we, we all wanted that so badly and, you know, made a couple of attempts. And it, again, I think it's a, uh, we weren't quite ready to take that leap. Um, now we're to the point, I think, where, you know, it's about 52 miles of 270 that encompass the city. And um, maybe it's 54, but it's close. But, you know, the 20-minute ride is getting a little bit longer for folks. And especially when you look at where the, the growth spots are. So we are going to have to face that reality sooner rather than later. And particularly when you look at the targets of growth for population in the next 10, 20, 30 years, we will have to take it on. We also have, I think, always have had an affection for cars in this city too, for as long as I've been here and as long as I remember. So um, getting people to think through, I mean, you know, I love that CODA is offering free bus service right now during COVID uh, because they of the CARES dollars that they received. I hope more people are are trying it out. But um, yeah, we've we've got to we've got to make the leap on that. And I and I'm hopeful that as generations come in and new leadership comes along and we're starting to see things, you know, even change uh, within the business ranks, um, the outlook is a little bit different on some of those things. We also, back in the 80s, wanted to have a hub at Port Columbus and fought hard for that. In many ways, it's a good thing that didn't happen because in some of the cities where they did attract an, an airline, they're kind of sitting with a, a big empty area of the airport. And so, you know, it's interesting. We were, you know, fortunate, I think, that we ended up not having that happen, even though we were trying so desperately to make that happen. Would it be great to have some more international flights? Absolutely. But I think as Columbus continues to grow, it's going to be hard. And once the airlines are able to to come back, there's still going to be consolidation that happens. But when travel returns, when we, we feel safe again, um, not jumping on a plane, I, I think Columbus is going to continue to be a hot spot. I mean, shoot, you know, apparently, you know, we were on a, the top of the list for the post office, uh, you know, really? pulling back on mail. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I so, learned about that today, actually. So we're, well, that was the wrong list to be on. But um, I do think that moving forward uh, from a from a travel perspective, Columbus could be sitting pretty when it comes to, to the airport and getting additional flights, which has always been the desire here by the business community. And I think more and more leisure travel, too, would we'd like to be able to go to Portland on direct flights and be able to, you know, get where we want to go. So, yeah, light rail, something. We got to we gotta step up on that. A little bit. Columbus is getting too big not to. I'm still frustrated that JetBlue doesn't fly into Columbus. My dad flies yeah. for JetBlue. Yeah. So they used to. They pulled yeah. their hub a few years ago. I know. Ago. They pulled yeah. the hub a few years ago. This was right before, like, I was just getting into college and mm -hmm. they pulled the, they pulled it. My sister it. was a flight attendant ah. there for a few years. And so I got, now I have to go to Cleveland if I want to fly. And then I got to go to Cleveland or New York. And, but it's completely sidetracked here. That's I right. want to talk, bring it back to uh, your story. So we were talking about uh, getting to uh, 10 TV and what, so what my, my question is, what made you decide you didn't want to do news anymore? It's a great question. I still have news in me. I, I've not let that go and probably not the greatest person to watch a newscast with. We all, my husband and I always say that. But, 
you know, the world changed a little bit in news and particularly at the local level. Um, we could just see things changing in terms of what was expected out of new, newscasts. We were doing a ton of them. There was, you know, a 5.30, a 6, a 7 uh, local news. And, and it sort of was de minimis sometimes in terms of what the content was. And when you're married and you're both in the same business, particularly that business, when the news director gets fired, you sort of look at each other and say, ooh, we're both in management. One of us probably needs to think about, you know, moving along. And so I was first and I'd heard about a position opening up at the Columbus Chamber. It was a media relations position. And I thought, well, I'm in media. I think I could probably do that. And, um, you know, it, it expanded beyond that. But um, it was really a fantastic job to have. The Columbus Chamber at that time was at the crossroads of really everything that was going on in our community. We didn't have a lot of the organizations that are around today. There wasn't a Columbus Partnership. There wasn't uh, One Columbus. Um, there weren't a lot of those, you know, economic arms. Economic development happened at the Columbus Chamber at that time. So it was cool. I mean, we you talked about logistics. I mean, we, we um, you know, set ourselves up as an inland port and we're really marketing ourselves uh, around the country to get more logistic kinds of businesses here and more businesses. I remember we landed the Spiegel Distribution Center. I don't even know if Spiegel's still um, in business, but, you know, that was a big deal. And that was sort of one of the first distribution centers that we were able to attract. Rickenbacker was such an asset for us. Um, and then there was the sports piece, which, you know, had been around before I came on board at the chamber, but it was something that clearly this community thought was important, um, particularly I think the the captains of industry and and business. And look, we're in a we're in a state with 11 million people. We have two other cities that are kind of big. And I think for a while there we had this inferiority complex that there was Cleveland and Cincinnati and there was Columbus. And I think we're past that now, but I think there was a period there where it felt like, well, they've got, you know, baseball and the NFL and the NBA um, in Cleveland, and look what Cincinnati has. What can we have? I mean, we have Ohio State football, which is fantastic, but, you know, what else could we attract here? We had the AAA, you know, arm of the New York Yankees at the time. And we got brave, and people like John H. McConnell and people like Ron Pizzuti and others were talking it up, and we thought about maybe going after the St. Louis uh, baseball team at the time that was sort of considering a move. The Cardinals were thinking about it. Uh, Marge Schott told Mr. McConnell that that wasn't going to happen. But, you know, we were somewhat patient and sort of waited our turn. Ron Pizzuti was trying to make a, a basketball deal, get get into the NBA down in Florida and almost had it. But then we had the opportunity when the NHL came knocking. But I forgot about the crew, which you can't forget about. Because for me, I think that opened the door, honestly, for well, I think it made the NHL look at us um, a little bit harder. It was sort of like, what's going on in Columbus? Um, we were uh, an underserved market in so many ways. And um, FIFA had come in in the early 90s and went to the Ohio Stadium considering us for World Cup. And um, I was part of that team that was trying to help attract FIFA here. They said the old gray lady, Ohio Stadium was pretty cool, but they ended up going up to the Superdome and they tried to they tried to grow grass and that didn't work out so well. So when the conversation turned to bringing FIFA, bringing MLS to the United States on the top of the list, they knew the community, they knew the people that were here were very serious. And um, then it was just a matter of, oh, you have to do is sell 10,000 tickets before. And I think we overshot that goal. I think we we sold like 11,000, maybe 12,000 tickets. Um, and I was heavily involved in that. And that was cool. And we played in Ohio Stadium the first couple of years. And again, that's because, you know, the chamber stepped up and, and did a lot and, and to be there and have a front row seat and to be able to be involved was just really cool. So I, 
I loved my time at the chamber. I got exposed to a lot of things and a lot of people, and um, it was just a fantastic opportunity. We're going to take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. So as the discussions are going on uh, over the last couple of years about them leaving, you know, what's going through your head at that point after all that work and being involved in the beginning of, of bringing them here in the first place? Yeah, I was very disappointed. I mean, the charter team, how could you get rid of one of the yeah. charter teams? It was like, the, that's just, the very first team. Yeah, how could you do yeah, that? It'd be like moving the Yankees. Yeah. That's what we're like, saying. So, I, I mean, there was a lot of noise and the, I'd actually had the opportunity to meet with the owner when he first came to town. And then I just remembered that no one really saw him much. And so I was worried. I mean, I, I wondered if, you know, and then to find out really that we'd sort of been, you know, hoodwinked on the the deal and the plan was always to move it was really disheartening. And I felt so bad for all of the fans and the people that had fallen in love with the crew. I mean, I that was just, you know, I remembered watching the Browns because when the Browns moved out of Cleveland, that was about the time that we were trying to figure out the NHL here. And so to, you know, watch what Cleveland went through, just didn't want to see that happen here. And, you know, it would have been a you know, bruised to the ego, a bit of a black eye for us. And so was so grateful. And I talked to Alex Fisher, you know, a couple of times just saying, I'm so glad you're focused on this and helping because we can't let this happen. So I was really pleased. And wow, I mean, this community stepped up in such a big way and the fans and the Edwards family. And um, yeah, just the, the way the whole thing played out was pretty awesome. And boy, it's fun watching the stadium go up downtown too. It reminds me of when the, the arena went up about 20 years ago. That was just that felt like progress. And so, you know, being able to sort of flush out the arena district with Crew Stadium, it's going to be really a cool thing. So sort of a proud little, you know, moment to sort of go, yay, because it was, you know, tough. Lamar had wanted to build a, a stadium downtown and tried it out in Dublin. And, you know, I just felt like they really, at the end of the day, we needed to figure out a way for them to stay. So I'm glad we got it done. Yeah, Tim, a, yeah. Tim is a huge, huge Columbus Crew fan. So yeah, he told me he's Season ticket holder for both the yes. jackets I'll, I'll, and and now I can walk to both before well I could walk to the old games and which that was the first soccer specific yeah. I played soccer my entire life so being nine and or eight or nine in here we're gonna get a pro team come I was yeah. uh, over the moon and then yeah. you know finally we got it and it was the first team and everything so to hear them try to leave getting the details I'm pretty heavily involved in Columbus and so listen to the details about it and it was basically just a buy low and sell high, like he knew exactly what he was doing. And it was just to see the city step up. And I mean, we were going to the playoffs when we had, uh, we were playing against teams that had players that were making more themselves than our entire roster. They were doing uh, everything they could to lose and we were still yeah. going to the playoffs. I remember we were out in the parking lot and I had friends on the team and we were like, we can't get in. There's 10,000 people in the parking lot and they wanted the stadium to look empty on TV. So, cause we don't have fans and stuff. It was just such a massive conspiracy. To, and we fought it and we won. And that was uh, I've, I don't think I've ever been more proud of Columbus than when we saved awesome. that team. That's great. Yeah, think about all those international events too that were. Oh yeah, we have, we have uh, the USA Mexico all the time. Yeah, we have um, great friendlies with the women's national team, yeah. which don't get enough press, but they're incredible. No, so much fun I to agree. go to. I totally Dos agree. Cicero, like three or four times, just like yeah, I've had yeah. that stadium's done so much for not only uh, Ohio soccer but U.S. soccer in general. You wrap your time at the chamber, and then is that when you progress on to Worthington and you find that company? Actually, um, you know, the I don't want to go deep into this, but the the ballot issue I put my heart and soul into to build the arena and stadium downtown, and it failed. And then, you know, the work began 
to try to figure out, you know, this once-in-a-generation opportunity to land the NHL. I mean, Bettman had basically told Mr. McConnell, if you can figure this out, you've got a team, and how could we let that slip away? And and so nationwide, and, you know, minds were working feverishly to figure it out, and they did. And um, I was actually standing at a rally welcoming the NHL and kind of feeling like, well, it's great it happened. I mean, I was happy, and I had a tap on the shoulder from the head of JMAC, a man by the name of John Christie, who also had happened to be at the Columbus Chamber, who hired me there. And he said, you got to come up and help me with this hockey team. you got to help me open the doors. And um, I had been around John H. McConnell a little bit because he had been a part of the group um, helping us get it to the ballot. Um, and we used to have meetings up in his office. I was knees shaken, but there I was in his office back in the like 90, late 96, early 97. And... Um, and then here I was, you know, going up and helping he and his son, uh, John P. McConnell, who I would later work for at Worthington Industries. So I was at JMAC, not up until the season began, I, the inaugural season, I was close. Um, but John P. asked if I would come and um, help start a communications group at Worthington Industries. And that was kind of a hard thing to pass up. And he said, you know, you'll still get to be involved in the team. And so he was true to his word on that. I've been a part of the Blue Jackets Foundation since its inception and a season, you know, a day one season ticket holder too as well. So important to me. So yeah, I mean, that was one of those, you know, in the right place at the right time. And um, I believe that those things happen. Maybe it's luck, um, but you still have to take advantage of the opportunity. And that's one thing I say to people all the time. It's, yeah, you can be lucky, but you still have to deliver and you still have to take advantage of every opportunity. And Boy, that 18 months uh, with J-Mac was unbelievable. It was such an incredible experience um, going around to other NHL cities and seeing their uh, arenas and um, going to the All-Star Game up in Vancouver and, you know, spending time in the NHL offices, um, figuring out, you know, all kinds of things, the naming of the team and the colors and um, and just being around, the, you know, Mr. McConnell and the, the minority owners of the team, John F. Wolf, uh, the Crane family, Ron Pizzuti. That was just a, it was a magical experience for me. But then going to Worthington Industries was pretty extraordinary too, with a, uh, an incredible company. And um, obviously that's been a, a fantastic experience as well. So can I say you guys did a great job with the Blue Jackets? Because I don't think there's a bad seat in that entire arena. Well, and I'm a boy from California, grew up in San Diego, never watched a game of hockey. But coming to Columbus, I've become a Blue Jackets fan and a hockey fan. So it's been it's been an incredible ride. Well, that's I'm, credit I'm to NRI, Brian Ellis and his team at Nationwide. But I agree. And it's hasn't it aged well? I mean, it's yep. 20 years old and um, looks pretty darn good. Um, and it's uh, it's just a it's really a great place to to watch a hockey game. It's um, and it's an exciting place. And I agree. I don't think there is a bad seat having sat upstairs and um, our seats are club level. And um, but we used to be down below, too. And some days I think I'd rather be down there because there's certainly excitement, but there's excitement throughout the building. But, yeah, it's a great, truly great place to watch a hockey game. No doubt about it. Hey there, Conquerors. We want to take a quick moment to talk about one of our sponsors, Studio 301. Kyle and his team have helped us redesign our website, taking the podcast in a new direction that we truly love. And we have some incredible guests here on the show. And Studio 301 has given us a website that reflects the caliber of the people that join us. And the Studio 301 team can help you with everything from brand strategy and redesigns to market research, videography, social media overhauls, and a whole lot more. You can go check them out at studio301.org. That's studio301.org.
So as you, as you first start at Worthington, you know, what does that role look like for you and how does it grow and evolve in, into what it's become today? Yeah. What I loved about the role, and it was kind of like JMAC too, it was a blank sheet of paper, right? So come in and figure this out. This is what we need. I thought I was going to come in and help tell the great um, American business story, um, which is part of the story of Worthington. But really where we, where John wanted me to focus was employee communications and being focused on, you know, how we communicate to employees. Um, so what do you do? You know, your first couple months on the job, you, you know, suit up and you go in the plants and you see how we do what we do. And that was amazing. And um, the generosity of uh, the people that are working on the plant floor, um, um, you know, just incredible. They were um, wonderful to me and helping me learn what we did. You know, and as time goes on, you find other things that you, you know, you see that need to be done or that we need to be focused on. And so, Yes, obviously the news media piece was a really important part. Um, all of all of the communications that we did, both internally and externally, you know, we certainly tried to raise the bar on that. I got into some some government relations. I mean, we, you know, did have some government issues that we wanted to take to our members of Congress. So I did spend some time in in Washington as well as the state house because we have the lion's share of our facilities are in the state of Ohio. We probably have twenty five hundred folks, give or take a few in uh, the state of Ohio at like 14 facilities. And so, and even locally, you know, at City Hall and at the county um, at times, you know, it was important to have those relationships, really enjoyed that. Our foundation, we established our Worthington Industries Foundation at the Columbus Foundation, probably uh, in the early 2000s, Worthington had given for many, many years um, leading up to that time, but um, we established it at the Columbus Foundation because that was the right thing to do to be part of the community uh, foundation. And um, that's such rewarding work. I mean, to be able to represent the company out in our community and to be able to have impact in our community, we certainly mean it when we say we support the places where we live and work. And when you are a corporate headquarters, much is expected of you. And this is our corporate headquarters. And so, you know, the lion's share of what we did was in Columbus. Um, it still is today. Um, but we also looked for ways to engage in our other communities where we could also find things that we could give back to. I love that work. You know, unfortunately, the need is great and you say no more than you get to say yes because we don't have an endless, um, you know, bank account for that. But um, we tried to uh, stay true to really the giving that the McConnell family had started over the years, Children's Hospital, the Salvation Army, Big Brothers, Big Sisters, and then also spent time learning more, you know, about the needs in the community. United Way has been something that we've certainly stayed with throughout our 65-year history. And the need there is great. And I think particularly coming out of COVID, it's going to be uh, even greater as our sort of safety net in the community. So there were those kinds of things that I worked on. And then at some point in the mix, probably in the late 2000s, probably around 2009, uh, they asked me to take on the investor relations role. I really felt what I was doing. I was fulfilled and there was so much more to do. And I was building a great team and we were, you know, the website was something that we had paid a lot of attention to and we were helping the businesses market themselves. But I'm really glad I stepped up and did the investor relations role because it stretched me and you should always challenge yourself at something that is new and difficult. And, uh, but luckily for me, we had a CFO walk in the door about the same time and together we figured it out. And so for the next year, I was working with uh, our CFO and we 
we're meeting with analysts and spending time in New York talking about the company. And it's such a great company to talk about. And even out of the Great Recession, when which is really when I took on that role. And it was it was tough going out and talking about, well, you know, we've been hit pretty hard. And one of our businesses, our steel processing business, but our pressure cylinders business was still doing pretty well. But um, that was fascinating work. And um, really, again, glad I got to do it. And then fast forward to you know, another 10 years uh, later and um, had the opportunity to uh, take on the HR role. And a lot of my friends said, are you crazy? Why are you going to do human resources? And, um, you know, for me, it was about carrying on the culture of the company because, you know, we're in the people business in HR and um, the people are about the culture and the culture is about the people. And um, I've really enjoyed it. I have a great team. I inherited a great team. I probably wish my runway was a little bit longer because there's a lot I would love to do and get done. But um, it's been fascinating, even though we've been in the COVID storm for the last you know five months um, and it's been challenging. Um, but it also has made me feel like this was where I was supposed to be. You know, I, I I had an opportunity to go somewhere else or walk away and do something different. And I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I stayed. And uh, again, I I think the challenge, you know, I love challenges and I love, uh, well, it wasn't necessarily a blank sheet of paper, but I did get to rethink structure and I got to rethink how we were doing things for just a little bit because then we were off to the next thing. And then it, it seemed like, you know, not much long after that COVID hit. And um, that was a mind bender on many levels, uh, late nights and, um, you know, concerns. Our, our people are exceptional and we were deemed early a, a business essential industry and our businesses could stay open in the state of Ohio to continue to serve our customers. That's remarkable, that's wonderful, but that's also hard. Hard for someone who is concerned about what is this thing that we didn't really know much about and we're telling you to go to work every day. But I have to say our people stood up and came to work and just been amazing. It's been an amazing couple of months and I'm hopeful like everyone else that you know we can get through the rest of this year and then you know, let's kiss 2020 goodbye and hello, 21, <laughs> be better. Um, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping the worst is behind us. I, I realize that they're telling us the flu and the COVID could uh, intersect here and it could be a rough fall. But I'm, I'm going to wish that, you know, perhaps there's some herd immunity going on and perhaps that we've figured out how to live with this a little bit. Um, and, you know, we've certainly put in every safety protocol and everything that we could to make sure that our people are safe uh, in our facilities as best as we can. Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick break here to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. You know, it really couldn't be cooler to have a sponsor and a partner like One Columbus. They are directly in alignment with everything we stand for and everything we're looking to promote here at Conquering Columbus. I mean, they just want to bring the most competitive companies to the area and make everything about the city and the region just one of the greatest places to live in the United States and in the world for that matter. Yeah, they're like the ultimate Columbus hype man. They're trying to bring new businesses here, show them what our strengths are, but also address some of the weaknesses and say, like, this is how we could get better. So for us, we're excited to help promote their goal and help tell the story with them on board. Absolutely. And uh, if you guys want to learn more about One Columbus, check them out at columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. So your role as an in investor relations, did that help propel you at all in, in what you're doing now to give you a better context of the business and uh, maybe maybe a deeper understanding of the financial side if you didn't have that already? I think everything you do prepares you for the next thing, right? I mean, 
What I learned in a newsroom and what I was able to take with me, even though I didn't know it at the time, has stayed with me throughout my career. There is no doubt that the deeper I got into our business to understand how we work, you know, the better I was even in the communications role um, and, and certainly in the investor role. But yes, I mean, understanding the the demands we were we were actually talking before we started about you know workforce demands and where we are with fulfilling our production schedules and in this kind of weird environment where you know we don't necessarily have all the workers that we need and you know how do you rethink that how do you work with the operations side to maybe rethink shifts or could we get closer to some automation in some areas where maybe we don't need you know a physical presence of a person so yeah i mean i think you know, when you are, when you allow yourself to deeply immerse into any job, you're, you're going to come out of it, you know, smarter, better, and um, more effective in the role. So I'm, yeah, like I said, I'm grateful I did it. Um, You know, when you're dealing with things like, you know, compensation and, you know, thinking through those things or going through an SG&A experience where you have to take money out of your budget, it's always, you know, good if you've got the the financial acumen to be able to carry those things out. So all of those experiences, I mean, I think you carry all of experiences that you have in your life with you wherever you go. And uh, that's a, usually a good thing. You know, usually even, even the bad experiences, you know, catapult you into, I think, good places. Definitely. So Kathy, where do you see yourself heading over the next few years? I mean, you talked about you wish you had more runway. Yeah. What, do you, what do you see yourself doing here at Worthington or beyond that? I ponder that a lot. Um, I'm, I'm certainly not ready to throw in the towel. It'll be two years, actually, next month uh, that I've been in the CHRO role. I certainly would like to probably carry that through for another two to three years, announcing that now. Actually, I've said that. Um, and yeah, the next thing, I you know, the next thing will be interesting because I think it will be um, not what I'm doing today and probably not what I've done prior. It's probably something around my passion around this community. And I don't know what that means yet. I'm enjoying, as an aside here, in addition to my volunteer experiences, I've been on an advisory board and I've done this before. I was on an advisory board for a PR marketing firm that was a startup a few years back. And and now I'm on an um, advisory board for an InsureTech uh, company here in Columbus. Bold Penguin is the name of the company. And um, love it. I don't know anything about insurance. So I've learned more having been on board with them, but um, it's great being around the energy of, you know, some 30 year olds who have a vision, you know, build on that vision and execute and they're successful. Um, And just being around that has been awesome. And anything I can contribute to, you know, their uh, quest to have a great culture and uh, get the right hires in the door. You know, I want to be able to help because they're they're great people. They're great people to be around. I enjoy that. I wouldn't mind doing a few more of those kinds of things. Um, so perhaps perhaps that's in my in my future as well. But I doubt that I hang up um, the volunteering because I, I really I'm passionate about that. I think that you know that's how communities thrive. I think this community thrives on our our community service. All of us have it in us. We just need to find out what it is that we're passionate about or where we think we can make our mark. And um, so I don't think that'll be something I give up anytime soon. What about, you know, your drive and your passion to be successful and and work-life balance? It's kind of a a loaded question, I guess, to some extent. But as you look back in your career, did you constantly want to be at the top? And and I'm not necessarily top, but at a C-level within a 
really large company? And were you were you constantly working or do you have a good balance? I think that's kind of a two-parter. So I would say there have definitely been times in my life when it's been out of whack, when I've taken on too much and I my husband would sit here and tell you, yes, there were times when she definitely was doing way too much and things got out of balance. But you know that, you know, your body tells you that, your spouse tells you that, maybe not directly, but you just know it. And so you do have to keep yourself in check. And, you know, I did learn to say no somewhere along the way too, which is important because you can't say yes to everything. When I grew up in Ironton, I wasn't thinking that I, my dreams were nothing compared to what I've accomplished or where I am today. I mean, I I thought I was going to be a performer. I, I had performance in my blood because I was a singer and I played the piano. That got dashed pretty quickly in college when I realized, boy, there are a lot of people that want to do this. I, I probably ought to figure out something a little bit better. So I went into journalism. Um, my father was a newspaper man. My, my brother was in radio for most of his life and my sister was in news. Um, so being in the C-suite of a uh, steel manufacturing, diversified man- metals manufacturer. No, that was not that on my on list. list. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think you have to let, you know, some people have a five-year plan and that's where they're going to be and they're going to do it. I was never necessarily one of those folks. I've been open. And I think being open to opportunities is important. That doesn't probably always suit everyone. Maybe it doesn't necessarily suit everyone to say, oh, you're just going to wait and see what happens. I raised my hand when I wanted to do something. I I was um, not, maybe not necessarily aggressive about where I was going to go next, but I vividly remember driving past Channel 10 a lot on 315 and saying, I'm going to work there someday. And I did. The chamber was um, kind of a fluke. It just, the timing worked out. I got to go there. But because of the chamber, that led me you know, to JMAC. And because of JMAC, that led me to Worthington Industries. So um, I work hard. I have always worked hard, I think. I've just sort of let life happen, but I certainly give it its tweaks and its, you know, direction. But I think it's being open to the possibilities, whatever they are that are in front of you and being in tune with what that is. Oh, so if I did that, maybe I could, you know, be over here. Well, if I agree to do the investor relations thing, you know, that's going to make me better in the role that I'm in. Um, And then, you know, almost leaving and then the CHRO thing, it was sort of like, I got to do this. I, I can't walk out of here. I have to do this. So yeah. And then, yeah, I think as I've gotten older, I've gotten a lot better about work-life balance. I probably should have been better at it sooner, but I, you know, I think now you can sort of sit back and say, this is the stuff I want to spend my time doing. This is really the stuff I want. Cause I think you have to pay your dues, right? I mean, you don't always get to do what you want to do, but I do now try to be a lot more selective, I will say, uh, in terms of the things that I sign up for and the things that I that I jump in on. Makes a lot of sense, Kathy. And so if you had any advice for our listeners out there, and if it helps, they're all mostly young professionals, entrepreneurs, people in the 25, 35 range here in Columbus, what would you say to them? And, you know, what, what, I guess I butchered this question already, but uh, (laughs) what advice would you give them? Well, look, I, I think having a, a mentor or someone to be able to vent and uh, share dreams with is really important. I think this community is ripe with people that are willing to do that. But you have to, when you sign up to do that, you also have to realize that you have a responsibility in that relationship too. It's not just, well, I want you to mentor me. So you're going to sit back in the chair and wait for me to mentor you. No, you have to come to the table with, well, what do you hope to get out of it? And then what are you going to do to get better? I think think that is... um, 
maybe it's something that I didn't do in a formal way as I was coming up through life and in career, but certainly had a lot of mentors, both female and male. My advice is to go for it. I mean, I... <laughs> I th- you know, we, we, this isn't a dress rehearsal. You, you know, you only get one shot at um, the life that you're living and building. And if there's something out there that you want to do, try it, go for it. I mean, the worst that can happen is it doesn't work out and then you move on to the next thing. And I, I know that's easy to say. And I probably have some regrets uh, here and there of things that I didn't do or I couldn't do. I, you know, I, I had the opportunity to think about running for Congress a couple of years ago and I just couldn't pull the trigger for a lot of reasons, but I know now it was the right decision. I don't have regrets, but I really, you know, dove deep on it. But I think give yourself a break when it comes to, um, you're not going to be in the C-suite tomorrow. It took me, uh, 30 some years. Cause I, I wouldn't consider my role as vice president of communications, a C-suite role. It really didn't come to me until two years ago when I became the CHRO. So 35 plus years of, you know, pounding the pavement out there and doing what I do. So I, I you know, I think you can't make the expectation uh, so high that you get frustrated and you get disappointed, but yet challenge yourself. Like I said earlier, I, I think it's really important to stretch yourself. Don't just go for a lateral move. Always look for what the next thing can be. I think that will serve you well. And, um, and follow your heart a little bit too. I, I've been through a lot of decision-making. My heart is, I think, my heart and my gut, I think, have helped um, help direct me. And I think probably it's been the right decision every time. So listen to that, which isn't always easy. You got to shut the noise out. Put these headphones on because they're really great. Just don't have anything, don't have any noise in them. But um, yeah, I think that's really important. Jump in and please, please, please find some way to impact your community. Give yourself, we need you. That's how we, that's how we run. Uh, that's how we get better. And um, we need every single person listening to find their mark, find their place where they can help out and make a difference and probably lead an organization. I will say that so much of my experiences and where I grew had a lot to do with the the nonprofit work that I did. I got to be in some pretty heady kinds of roles and it helped me grow. And I'm grateful for all those opportunities and all the people that I met along the way. Perfect. Well, Kathy, that's a, that's really great advice and uh, leads us to our last question of the show. It's centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, and that is live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career? I would say that you should think about putting yourself in situations. So I, I will, I'll back up and say Black Lives Matter um, would be something that comes to mind because I think that we all need to think about putting ourselves in someone else's shoes and that can perhaps be uncomfortable or maybe having a conversation that might be really difficult to have, but really making sure that you are, you know, open to the thought that you don't understand the experience of, in my case, a, a black or brown person in a way that I probably should. And how could I open myself up to understand that better? I think we would all be better as a society if we thought about that. If we thought about every person of color deserves the same opportunity that I have. And I just think that there's uncomfortableness around that. And those can be awkward conversations and tough conversations to have. But I think it's incumbent upon all of us in business, 
you know, in your friend circles, when you're out on a Friday night having a beer, you, you know, talking about that social distancing, of course, but, you know, we need to be better at understanding that, you know, this is a country that's built on rights for, for all. And we've lived too long with, you know, only a, only a certain portion of our citizenry having, you know, the luxury of being able to sort of walk down the street and not worry. And I think we would all just be so much better off if we realized it just hasn't been the same experience for everyone. And um, as tough as that is, and as tough as those conversations can be, you know, when was the last time you had one of those conversations to understand a little bit better, to um, take a step in their direction? Yeah, so that's what comes to mind. And and that's obviously been heavy on my mind, um, you know, both as a, a human resources person, but but as a human being. And I think what this country has been through um, over the last couple of months, I hope it's something that we don't let slip away without living uncomfortably in the notion that we got to do better and we got to figure out a way that people don't feel that way. And it's, it's hurtful and it's painful for me to think about that, having a conversation with your child about what happens if you get pulled over or I just, you know, that's, that's just something that, uh, should weigh heavily on all of our minds because so many of us don't have to worry about that. And it's not right. And it's not acceptable that there's a really big portion of our population that has to worry about that. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Kathy, that's a great answer. And it has been great having you here on the show. Thank you so much Thank for you. coming on and sharing your story. Enjoyed it. Thank you. We enjoyed it as well. And uh, everybody out there listening, if you enjoyed it and you want to hear more interviews like this, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on whatever podcasting app you're listening on. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week.